Hi everybody, it's good to be here. Thank you for having us. And I'm just going to begin actually by reading you a fictionalised eyewitness account of the events that we've just read in God's Word in Luke 13. So this is a fictionalised eyewitness account of what happened. It was a day I'll never forget. Our village had gathered at the local synagogue to hear the word and receive teaching to pray together and to worship Yahweh, the one true God. On this day, there was an unusual excitement in the crowd because we had a guest rabbi, the travelling one everyone was talking about. Yeshua was his name. I think you might pronounce it in your language as Joshua or Jesus. Everybody was talking about him. Rumours were flying around about the healings and miracles he'd done. And people said that when he taught, he didn't teach like the rest of the rabbis, quoting other famous rabbis to make their points, but he taught as one speaking right from God. Crowds followed him everywhere. So it was no surprise to find our little synagogue packed on this particular Sabbath. Yeshua had just begun his teaching, drawing us into his words immediately, when all of a sudden he focused in on one of the women present there. I remember her well because everywhere she walked, she was always hunched over. For 18 years, her spine had been so stiff that she could never stand up straight. It was terribly painful for her. But I always admired her because she never let it stop her from worshipping Yahweh and spending time with his people. As Yeshua noticed her, the whole crowd became silent. What was going to happen? Was he upset with her? Maybe he didn't want someone with deformities in his presence. And then he motioned her forward and she meekly came. I was just standing a few feet away so I saw it all happen so clearly. Yeshua looked at her with eyes of love and compassion and he said, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he reached out, put both hands on her slumped shoulders. And immediately she straightened her back, began to cry out praises to Yahweh. And after a moment of shock, everyone else did too. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my life. 18 years of suffering and misery gone in an instant. The crowd was enthralled with Yeshua. Could he really be our long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, sent from heaven above? But before we could celebrate for more than a second, our synagogue leader demanded that everyone settle down. And I could see from his countenance that he was not a happy camper. Once the crowd quieted, he calmly reminded us of the importance of keeping Sabbath, our day of rest, just as Yahweh had kept the first Sabbath on the seventh day 
following six days of creation. Our leader asked us in the future to come on any other day of the week for healing, but to please refrain from doing so on the Sabbath so we could keep it holy. Well, before I could even think about this, I heard our guest rabbi speak up again. He looked right at our leader and said loud enough for everyone to hear, You hypocrites! Don't you all have farm animals that you set free from their tethers so that you can feed and water them on the Sabbath, just like any other day? If you can set them free, mere animals, how much more should one of God's people a woman who's been bound by Satan for, tw- for 18 years, be set free from her affliction. It was one of those moments where you could just see the truth cut like a knife. And our synagogue leader, along with the other Pharisees there, was silenced because they knew Yeshua's argument was impeccable. Everyone knew that people mattered to God. And here our leaders were putting their petty little regulations ahead of people's lives. The crowd was ecstatic. We sensed a freedom in Yeshua's teachings, a way to know and be known by God, the God of Israel, to truly be his people and walk in his ways, not because we had to, but because we wanted to, out of love and devotion. May Yahweh be praised, and may the evidence of his miraculous healing works let everyone know that he is the true one, the one true God. So that was a fictionalised account of what we just read in God's Word, and I would encourage you to go back and, and read it. But before I continue, I just want to thank you for inviting us here today. Um, it's great and it's been wonderful to just sit and um, just see the conversations going on and just everybody just, yeah, everyone just excited to be in, uh, in this building, ready to worship God and to hear from God. So it's been great. And um, just a little bit of background about me. I was, as Simon sort of intimated, I'd be May president. Um, yeah, good service, I don't know. <laughs> um, but up till the age of 50, I was a teacher. I was a primary school teacher, middle school teacher. Um, married Elizabeth in 1990. Um, we were attending Sheppey Evangelical Church from then. Um, at the age of 50, I had a career change. We were looking for a new uh, minister, pastor, and it turned out to be me. Um, so from 2007, I worked for our church at Sheppey, and uh, I retired last August, at the end of last August. And uh, then they asked me to become president a month later. So here I am, and it's been a real good joy to travel around the different churches and we are part of the Countess of Huntingdon's connection. And I'd urge you to just maybe go on the website, just Google it, the Countess of Huntingdon's connection, and see what the connection does, even though we are small in number now. There's good things happening in the churches around the country. 
And uh, one of the things we do is we, we support Sierra Leone. And uh, we help run schools out there. There's a medical centre recently opened that we help build as a connection. There's an orphanage for street children. And uh, most recently, one of the schools I saw, uh, they're trying to raise money to rebuild it in a village called Tombo. And uh, it's held up by bamboo sticks, basically. The classroom walls are made of paper. And you can see pictures of it on the Connection website. So I'm trying to just raise money for Sierra Leone as I visit the different churches in the Connection in this country. So at the end, if you've got sort of a few pennies, there's a pot there. You can write your name on a brick and stick it on the wall. And together we'll build something good for Sierra Leone and help rebuild that school out in Tombo. So, yeah, that's there if you want to. At the end of the service as we uh, break up. Okay. Thinking back to the events of, of Luke 13, described by that, uh, that eyewitness, it must have been truly an amazing moment. This wasn't the first time, nor would it be the last, that Jesus would argue with the religious leaders. And it wasn't the first time, nor the last, that there would be conflict about his healing on the Sabbath. In fact, an argument about the Sabbath is recorded in Mark chapter 3. And it's one of the few places in the Bible where Jesus is said to have been angry. As he looked at the Pharisees, he felt such an anger for their love of rules and regulations over people. And what's funny to me is that Jesus' enemies always jumped on him for working on the Sabbath. But he never seemed to have to work that hard to perform a miracle. Sometimes he'd say just a few words, as he did here. Once he spat in his palms and looked up to heaven with a sigh and then touched and healed a blind man's eyes. And more than once he just told people, you can go home, it's already done. Your sick relative is now alive and well. It doesn't seem much like hard work to me. And yet Jesus' enemies used the pretense of work to try and bring him down. Let's look at the original Sabbath commandment and see what these religious leaders had turned it into. And the originals found in Exodus or Deuteronomy as part of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 verse 8 to 10 reads like this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. So this command was a way for the people to remember their God, who modelled a Sabbath at the end of his week of creation. On another creation, on another occasion, Jesus emphasised that, like all of God's commands, this command actually was given for our own good. Mark 2.27 records him telling the crowd 
The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, it's a day for rest, a day to recharge our bodies, a day to focus on the Lord who gives us the capacity to work the other six days. It brings balance to our lives. Now, by the time Jesus walked the earth, the Jewish religious leaders had simplified God's original Ten Commandments down to only 613 regulations. They turned it into 613 regulations. And the Sabbath is just one example of how ridiculous it got. The rabbis allowed animals to be tied up to prevent them from straying off, but they restricted the kind of knots that could be used, as some knots might require too much work. And they also found creative ways to water their animals without breaking the rules for how far you could travel on the Sabbath. You could only travel about six-tenths of a mile. You could walk that far from your home without it being considered work. So to get around that, they'd build something like a hut around the public well and pronounce it a private residence. And since the well was now part of a home, animals could be taken there for watering. Provided, and I'm quoting now, provided the greater part of a cow shall be within the enclosure when it drinks. Crazy. That's the rules. So in our story from Luke 13, Jesus used a typical lesser to greater rabbinical argument style to say this. If we untie, if we untie animals on the Sabbath to take them to water, why can't I untie a person from her physical and spiritual illness. And I think we can learn a really important principle from this episode and and several others found in Jesus' ministry. And the principle is this. Relationship surpasses religion every time. Relationship surpasses religion every time. Loving others through our words and actions is so much more important than following a bunch of rules to keep everything in order. Most people know the parable of the prodigal son. Yeah, hands up if you know the parable of the prodigal son. Yeah, a few. Okay, a few. Well, the well-known bit is the, the story of how the youngest son demands his inheritance and goes off spending it all on wine, women and song and then returns back home to his father on the farm to to seek and receive forgiveness and reconciliation. Most of you will remember that part. But modern commentators have renamed the parable the parable of the lost sons. You see, Jesus wanted to teach that the older son, the one who stayed behind, 
and lived a life following the rules was lost too. He was doing his best to be good, but as the story shows us, he was resentful. Like the Pharisees, he wasn't in a genuine relationship with his father on the farm. In today's story, the synagogue leader was trying to do good, to keep things orderly and proper. But tragically, if you think about it, he and the Pharisees that day were in the presence of the very Son of God and they failed to recognise him. They were in the presence of the Son of God. They didn't see him, they didn't recognise him. Why was that? Well, there was no acknowledgement, there was no relationship. It was only religion. Thankfully, God's greatest desire is to build a loving relationship with us. And he reaches out to us, much like Jesus reached out to that crippled woman in the story. You know, I wonder what the crippled woman was doing there. Was she there every Sabbath? Or would she come that particular day because she had heard that Jesus would be teaching? Had she heard people talking about how he seemed to have a special affinity for the least, the last, the lost, the broken, the lonely, the people living on the margins? Was this her last hope? Would her burden be lifted? The woman in the account could not straighten her body so she could not look upwards and outwards. The shape of her body always bent over towards the ground as a symbol of people with all sorts of burdens who are walking our streets, who are working next to us, who are living near us day after day. Some people like the woman who couldn't stand up straight, are more visible than others. Others, not so much. People going through family breakdown, financial worries, poor health, loneliness. Do we notice them the way Jesus noticed the woman in the synagogue that day? As it was, this woman could only see the dirt at her feet. Before she met Jesus, she could not look up and see the possibilities before her. She could not see the smiles on people's faces. She could not see the sky. She could only see downwards into the dirt. She must have been really surprised when Jesus not only preached the word, but saw her. I went to see the new film, the the new Avatar film a couple of months ago. Anyone seen the new Avatar film? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Well, it's a really long film, I can tell you that. It's a really, really long film. It's over three hours, I think. And just to go off track a little bit, I was diagnosed with, with prostate cancer 11 years ago. And it was a really an aggressive cancer. 
So in 2013, I had to have my prostate removed, and it was horrible at the time. And then I had to have a month of radiotherapy every day to make sure there was no cancer left in the margins of my tissue. And lots of people prayed for me. And here I am ten years later, I can sit through a film like Avatar without having to go to the toilet two or three times. <laughs> but seriously though, a really powerful phrase the indigenous people used in the film was this. I see you. I see you. You know, it's such a powerful phrase. And Jesus saw me during my treatment and recovery. Jesus sees beyond the veil, beyond the facade, beyond the pleasantries. Jesus sees right into the soul. And when Jesus saw this woman, Jesus saw her hurts, her struggles, her pain. He saw this daughter of Abraham who had been bound by Satan for 18 long years. He saw her and demonstrated love for her. And he gave her such wonderful love, love which was compassionate, merciful and unconditional. And this love is the same love Jesus has when Jesus looks at me and you. And the sad-looking homeless person on the street corner, the struggling single parent trying to feed their child, the grieving widow. He sees us. And when Jesus sees us, Jesus does the same thing he did for the woman that day. Jesus calls us to himself. And if we respond, if we come to him, miracles happen. He places his hands on us. We straighten up. We see new possibilities and start praising God. After meeting Jesus, that woman in the synagogue could look upwards and see forwards. And it was not just her body that was healed, but her soul as well. So we need a relationship with God like she did. Faith points us to Christ. True Christianity is relationship, not a religion. Now any relationship requires an investment of time. Time being spent with the other. So I'd encourage you to get to know him more. Spend time in prayer and in gathering together. And when you pray, rest in his presence. You don't have to do a lot of talking. He sees you. He sees you. And the amazing thing is that you will be able to see him more clearly as you come together in worship, as you pray, as you learn from the Bible. And as we cultivate our relationship with Jesus, he will loosen us. He will loosen us from those things that bind us. And give us the freedom to grow, to look outwards and upwards with hope in him. Amen.